encourage you now um, to turn with me to the Word of God in Psalm 67. And I'll just tell you that as we look at this psalm, uh, as uh, is just sort of inevitable and invariably the case, um, as, as I wrestle with God's Word and try to understand God's Word, um, you as a congregation begin to get some windows in into my soul and into my heart and, and what raises my blood pressure and what animates me and what the psalmist uh, presents for us in these few verses is one of the things that is very animating for me and that is a vision for the nations. Uh, you heard that when I candidated here and preached uh, about the king and his kingdom. Um, you're going to hear a good bit about that and you're going to hear about it because it's there in the scriptures and it's there in a big way. So... Um, With that uh, little comment, let me encourage you to hear the word of God, Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity. And guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. um, And thank you for this, uh, this picture that you paint for us. Uh, of blessing with a view to the nations. Please grant us your spirit uh, to open our eyes that we might see these wonderful things uh, in your law, in your word. Uh, Grant your spirit that our hearts might be engaged with them, that we might love these things and find that our hearts are more and more animated because of these things. And, And then by your spirit, would you engage our wills? Would you enable us Um, to go out from this place today, uh, to do those little things, those kingdom things that uh, will contribute uh, to the nations being glad. Um, Lord, grant us your spirit to these ends, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, most of you, I'm sure, have at some point set out to read the Bible. Anybody who has uh, set out to read the Bible, just sort of starting at page one for the first time or for the second time or maybe for the tenth or the twelfth time, uh, you've found it to be a daunting thing, a, a, maybe a kind of an intimidating thing. It's a big book, this book, right? It's a daunting book. Um, not only because of its size, but because it's really 66 books. I mean, it's one book, but it's 66 books. Uh, and it was written over centuries, even millennia. Uh, lots of different authors. You've got uh, poetry and parables in this book. You have histories and genealogies. You have creation narratives, you've got songs, poems, you've got all of these different kinds of literature in this, in this one book that is 66 books. And, and navigating this thing and making your way through it can be a daunting, uh, daunting sort of a prospect. 
Um, I want to suggest to you that in the midst of all of that diversity, 66 different books and all of those different kinds of literature, there really is one story. Uh, there's one main theme. And again, uh, if you were here when I candidated uh, several months ago now, um, I suggested to you a little bit of what that main theme is, what that story is. It's the story of the king and his kingdom. Um, there's another way of thinking about the story. Uh, the story of the Bible, with all of the diversity that's there, uh, is the story of the one true and living God about whom we have spoken already this morning, who is eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, immutable, unchanging. I don't know if you think about immutability ever. That's a great word. Immutable means unchanging. And if he doesn't change, what he says doesn't change. His promises don't change. And there's something to rest in, in that word, immutable, unchanging. Now, this God is immutable. He is infinite. He is almighty. He is perfectly wise. He is just, he is good, and he is the overflowing source, the fountain of all goodness. What, what is the story of the Bible? The story of the Bible is the story of this God, this one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, being glorified in the redemption of the world, in the salvation of the world. That's the story of the Bible. The story of this one true and living God being glorified in the redemption of the world. Now, wherever you go in the scriptures, you can sort of tie whatever it is you're reading into that one main theme, that one main idea. And as you come to understand it, that one idea more and more, it begins to define your purpose. It begins to define your life, how you live, what you do as a Christian, as somebody who has embraced this God. Uh, and has been gathered into this people whom God is gathering from every nation and race and tribe and tongue. And as you understand this one theme, this one idea, more and more clearly in the Bible, it begins to define who we are as a church. Why are we here? What's our purpose? Why does Indian River Presbyterian Church exist? Well, we exist... Because we are being caught up, being gathered up into this big purpose of God, this big story of God. We have our own story as a church. We have our individual stories as Christians. But those individual stories and this story are like so many threads being woven into this one tapestry that God is creating, this story of God being glorified in the redemption of the world in the salvation of the world, in the rescue of the world. That's what's going on here. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. We're being caught up in that great and grand story. And you get a glimpse of that story in Psalm 67. This is a little snapshot, if you will, of the tapestry that God is making. And, and really, this little picture, this little snapshot is somewhat surprising. If you read the first verse... Uh, the first half of the first verse, 
you could conclude that the psalmist is being a little bit narcissistic and self-referenced and selfish. May the Lord bless us. May God bless us. You see it on bumper stickers all over, you know. God bless America. May God bless us. Could uh, initially lead you to believe he's being somewhat self-referenced. But as you make your way through this psalm, you realize that he isn't. He isn't being self-referenced. His first petition, his first cry, is that the Lord would bless him and would bless his own people. That's verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us. That's where the psalm begins. And it's instructive. Um, How do you pray when you pray? Um, What do you ask for when you appeal to God, when you cry out to God, when you implore God? Do you call upon Him to be gracious to you and to bless you? If you do, you're doing a good and right thing. You're doing what the psalmist did. May God be gracious to us and bless us. It's a prayer for God to favor His people, for God to bless them. Um, And it seems as natural to the psalmist as eating or drinking, or breathing. It just seems natural. Now remember the context of a prayer like that. Remember that the context of that cry or that plea is God redeeming a people to Himself, rescuing them to Himself, making them His own people, That's what God did for Israel. If you remember uh, the story of the Exodus, Uh, the the people of God, the nation, was living uh, under an oppressive regime. They were living in darkness. They had no freedom. They had no hope. And God was mindful of them, and He rescued them, and He brought them out of that darkness and out of that bondage, and He brought them to Himself at Mount Sinai, And he said to them, I am bringing you up on eagle's wings. This is Exodus 19. I'm bringing you up on eagle's wings that you might be my treasured possession. That you might belong to me. That you might be mine. The imagery in Exodus 19 is the imagery of of a groom and his bride, frankly. Uh, What happens at that mountain is a marriage. God has set his affection upon his beloved and he's brought his beloved to himself. I just got to do a wedding last weekend. Um, And I get to see things in weddings that nobody else gets to see. I especially love looking at the face of the groom who sees his beloved at the back of the room. And when she begins to make her way down the center of the church, if there's a center aisle, his face lights up. He's radiant with joy. The anticipation of being united to the one whom he loves. That's what God did at Mount Sinai. He brought his bride to himself and he delights in her. She is his treasured possession. The other imagery, it's it's much more common in the New Testament than it is in the Old Testament, but it's there in the Old Testament, is the imagery of a father with his children. Now, I wish you could have been at Indian River Memorial Hospital last Thursday afternoon, all of you, with me, when, when Bradley, Brad, Senior Brad, not little Bradley, but, but Brad, Senior, 
was holding his little Hannah in his hands, in his arms. And, and the, 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 the immeasurable delight and joy that the father has as he holds his child. I wish you could see, just, just watch after the service. Just watch Zach and Barbara. Just watch them. <laughs> just watch Uncle Michael. Okay? Just watch yourselves. Watch your own faces when you see little T back there. Your faces light up when you see this child, this, this little baby. That's imagery from the Bible. Again, much more um, prominent in the New Testament than the Old Testament, but it's there in the Old Testament as well. God is a father to his church. His church is his children. That's the context. That's the setting for this cry, for this plea. Lord, be gracious to us and bless us. That's why I say it's like eating or drinking. It's like breathing. It is natural for the child to cry out to the father or the mother to meet some need. That's what T does when he gets hungry. He loves, he doesn't really know it, but he loves his uncle. He loves his grandfather. He loves his grandmother. But there's one person in particular he really wants. His mother. Because his mother can meet his need. Feed him. Nourish him. Care for him. That's imagery of the Bible. That's the, that's the environment. That's the context of verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. Why? It's bold. It's aggressive. It's assertive. But you see, it's the language of the beloved who knows that he or she is loved and knows that he or she has freedom to call upon the one who is able to meet the need that I have, who is mindful of me. And so it's a natural thing to call upon him, to cry out to him. The Heidelberg Catechism captures this. I don't know if you all are fans of the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, I want you to become fans of the Heidelberg Catechism if you're not. I see some... Smiles. They must be Dutch, these folks who are smiling about this Heidelberg Catechism. Question 26 reads this way. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? What do you believe when you say that? Here's the answer that the, the writers of the Heidelberg Catechism penned. That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ, his Son. And I trust him so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul, and he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. He is able to do this because he is Almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. He's not only able to do it, he desires to do it because he loves his church. He loves his children. So when the psalmist cries out that God would be gracious, he's not coming to someone who is reluctant, not coming to someone who is hesitant. 
He's coming to a God who has already demonstrated that He is disposed to love His people, to hear their cries. So you begin to see what it means to have God as your God, to have God as your Father. You see what it begins to mean when we come before God to plead with Him and to cry out, He is both able to bless you and as your Father He desires to do it. Now, it doesn't end there. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. As we make this prayer, as we ask for God to be gracious to us and bless us, it's important to remember what true blessing is. The second part of the first verse is taken from Numbers chapter 6, which is the classic high priestly blessing which God commanded through Moses that Aaron bless the people with. You've heard it a thousand times. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. What's the essence of blessing? What's the kind of the heart and the soul of blessing? Well, blessing isn't stuff. Blessing is not blessings. God gives us blessings. Verse 6 of chapter 67, the psalmist is mindful that the earth has yielded its increase, that God has blessed his people and prospered his people. We have been blessed and we have been prospered. The blessings are suggestive of the blessing. Blessedness in its essence is to have the favor of God be upon you, is to have the light of God's countenance displayed upon you. What was the thing that Moses asked for? Remember Exodus 33? Show me your glory. Let me see your glory. And God said to Moses, I'll I'll, I'll stick you in this little niche of a rock, you know, I'll stick you in this little cleft of a rock and I'll let let the backside pass by you. Because no one can see my face and live. To have the glory of God conveyed, distributed, poured out upon you is to have the face of God turned towards you and not away from you. That's the essence of blessing. What is the essence of curse? Think about the cross of Christ. What happened at the cross? Everything became dark. Why did it become dark? That was suggestive, representative of the fact that the smile of God, the favor of God, the glory of God was withdrawn from the sun and was replaced by darkness and judgment and curse. Blessedness is to know the smile of the Father. You can have all the stuff in the world and not have the smile and be miserable. My, my dear friends, the Ailes uh, took us uh, 
Barb and me Friday night to the Riverside Cafe to get a cheeseburger and watch the sunset. And as the sun, this is so, so interesting, kind of symbolic, sort of representative. As the sun started to go down and as darkness began to enshroud the whole world, the people started to flood in to drink and to dance and to listen to rock and roll music. Pretty good music, by the way. But we looked, we looked at this gathering of hundreds of people, and I, I think probably to a person, uh, while it was sort of fun on the one hand, we, we thought, gee, what, what kind of tragedy is this here? What kind of sadness? You know, to be so blessed, to be so prospered, to be able to go to a place like the Riverside Cafe and eat a great cheeseburger and watch a beautiful sunset on the water. You can have all of the blessings and not be blessed and be miserable. Or you can have the essence of blessing and have none of the, none of the blessings and be at peace and be secure and be safe and know that you're loved and know that the favor of God rests upon you. God, be gracious to us and bless us. Make your face to shine upon us. Have you ever seen the young child who sees the smile of the parent? To use that metaphor, that analogy again. The child knows he's safe. The child knows he's secure. That no harm can come to him. That's a question for you to think about. Do I know blessings? Great. But do I know blessedness? Do I know the smile of the Father? Do I know that the countenance of the Father has not been withdrawn from me, but because of Christ is upon me? That's the essence of blessedness. And that's what we pray for. God, be gracious to us. Bless us. Make your face to shine upon us. Verse 2. So that... There's a reason for this. There's a reason we pray these things. There's a reason that we want the favor of God to rest upon us. There's a reason that we want God to prosper us. There's a reason that we want to know the blessings of the gospel, forgiveness and freedom and peace and assurance and confidence and contentment. Why do we pray for these things? We pray for these things, verse 2, so that God's ways may be known upon the earth. That's why we pray for this. We pray for God to bless us. Not that blessing us would be an end in itself. We pray for God to favor us, not simply so that we might be favored but so that God might be distinguished and set apart so that God's ways might be known as being different, so that He might differentiate Himself from the gods of the world. The people of God become a kind of a canvas, if you will, upon which God paints a self-portrait. And he paints that self-portrait by casting his gaze, his glory upon his people. And as he does that, he distinguishes himself from the gods of this world. Do you see that? 
It's like he paints a picture of himself on the people of God as his canvas. And all of the beauty that he is begins to be seen in and among his people. God, be gracious to us. Bless us. Make your face to shine upon us that your ways may be known on the earth, that your saving power may be known among the nations. Now think about the ways of God. Think about how different God is. Think about how different the Christian gospel is. I mean, there's so much that could be said about God as a creator, about God as a lawgiver. I mean, read through. I mean, I know this is, this is uh, tough to do, okay? But let me encourage you. Read through Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And note all of the instances where God demonstrates his concern for the alien, for the widow, for the orphan, for the stranger in the land. Notice all of the ways in which God, because he is compassionate, makes provision for the poor. God's ways are different from the ways of the gods of the world. But most especially are God's ways seen as different in his saving power, what the psalmist calls his saving power. All of the religions of the world, and if you've not thought about this, and if you think I'm mistaken about this, I'd love for you to correct me. I'd love for you to talk with me about this. But all of the religions of the world ask a question. What will you do for God in order to warrant his kindness and his mercy. What will you do for God? Christianity doesn't ask a question. It declares, this is what God has done for you in his son. I've been struck by this. Maybe you've been struck by it as well as Islam has taken center stage um, in our thinking. Somebody months ago made this observation. Islam says to mothers, give me your sons that they may die for me. Christianity says to mothers, I give my son in order to die for you. God's ways are different And we plead with God that he might favor us with his blessing, that his smile might be upon us, that his glory might rest upon us so that the nations around would see that this God is different so that his ways would be known in all the earth. And then really quickly, what's what's the final outcome of it? Well, it's verses 3 and 4 and 5. The outcome of this, we pray that God would favor us, bless us, prosper us, cause his glory to rest upon us so that he might be distinguished from the gods of this world, so that he might be set apart, so that he might be known as different to the end that the nations, the peoples rejoice in God. So that the nations praise God. Seven times in those three verses... Peoples, nations, those words are used seven times. 
Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. You judge the peoples with equity. You guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. What is the outcome of this? The outcome of this is that the nations would praise the one true and living God. The peoples would be glad in the one true and living God. It's cool. It's a cool thing that this church identifies a particular missionary family every week and invites this congregation to pray for that particular missionary family, informing this congregation about that particular missionary or missionary family. It's right for you to pray for them, to to call down from heaven upon them God's favor and God's blessing, so that as they are prospered, God might be seen as different, and the nations, the nations might come and exult and rejoice and glory in God. How come Indian River Presbyterian Church exists? How come we're here? Why has God assembled this group of folks? What's the end that God has in mind for you individually as you are involved in this gathering of God's people? What's the big idea? What's the end game? What's the big story? This is it. The end game. The big story. The big idea is that we might be gathered up into this grand purpose which God has for all of history. This purpose that He might be glorified as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in reclaiming the whole world, in reclaiming peoples and nations to Himself and for Himself, that they might exult in Him, that they might rejoice in Him, that they might glory in Him. If you want a picture of the end game, if you want a picture of the final outcome, go to Revelation chapter 5. Read the whole book. It's a great book. But go to Revelation chapter 5, where around the throne is this vast multitude, this host of people from every race and nation and tribe and tongue who were gathered together, singing with one voice, exulting in the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, who has rescued them out of darkness, who has gathered them into His presence, who gives them life. Go to the end of the book, Revelation 21 and 22, and see the glorious city that comes down from heaven with the river that flows out of her midst, where there are trees on both sides of the river, And the trees never lose their leaves. And they constantly bear fruit. What's the end game? The end game is that God might be glorified in rescuing and restoring and redeeming the world, the nations, the peoples of the earth into His own presence, giving them a new habitation where they might glory in Him forever and ever. And this church, we together, We get to participate in that big story. That's why we're here. There are subplots. There are sub-stories. 
There are unique features to each of our lives. There will be unique features to this church. But the big idea, the big story for us as individuals and for us as a church is to be gathered up into this great story that the psalmist is talking about here. I'll tell you, I'm going to make an assault on the gates of heaven that God will prosper this congregation so wildly, so wonderfully, so surprisingly, so marvelously that 10 or 20 or 30 years down the road or 40 or 50 years down the road, after most of us in this room are dead and gone, there will be people who will stand around and they will say to one another, look at what God has done in that church across these decades for the sake of the nations so that God will be praised. I'm going to pray that way. And I want to ask you to pray that way because that's why we're here. That's why we're here. So that the nations might be glad. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it's, it's so easy for me to talk about this. It is painfully difficult for me to practice it, for me, for me to pray, as I've said I'm going to pray, with any measure of faith or expectation or confidence. So I want to ask you, first of all, to bless and to favor me and to bless and to favor us by giving us faith to believe by giving us faith to look beyond what we can see, to trust you for things we can't see, trusting you to prosper us in such a way that the nations would be glad because of us. Lord, please, start there. Stir up our faith. Give us confidence in you, not in our ability to pray, not in the amount of our faith, but give us confidence in you, this God about whom we have spoken this morning, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, in your being, in your wisdom, power, goodness, holiness, justice, truth. Lord, give us faith first to rest and believe in you, but then take us, take this congregation and prosper us all. May your face shine upon us. May we know your favor so that we might see you do exceeding abundantly above all that we could even think or imagine or dare to ask, so that you might be praised, so that your son might be exalted and honored among all the nations of the earth. Lord, we ask you this in the name of Jesus, our great high priest and king. In his name do we pray. Amen.